Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> now I'm being told that we have to double that abortion quota. Um, you know, there were, there were months that, of course, in the summer, it was a college town. So there were months that uh, in the summer when the students were gone, you know, we weren't able to sometimes meet that quota. So we were being told, well, you know, that's when you need to go into particular neighborhoods and really, you know, drive those numbers. You've got to, you know, go and find women who are pregnant and encourage them to come into the facilities. And, you know, of course, what were those neighborhoods we're going into? Well, we're going into minority neighborhoods. We're going into low-income neighborhoods. We're going into HUD housing developments, right? Like the projects. That's what we're, that's what we're going into. And we're encouraging, um, these, you know, primarily black women, you know, and saying, I mean, essentially, um, you're not fit to have a baby or to have another baby. And so come in here and uh, we'll kill your baby. Hey, welcome Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and your faithful host, Josh Bertram, is currently in the Congo trying to scrape up as much cobalt as he can before the EV revolution hits us. But in the interim, we have with us Abby Johnson, who is a anti-abortion activist who previously worked at Planned Parenthood as a clinic director, um, but resigned in 2009 after watching an abortion on an ultrasound. She's now the founder of And Then There Were None. And she has a memoir on plan, which my wife read and loved. <laughs> and, and it was turned into a motion picture film in 2019, which I watched and loved, um, which also exceeded all box office projections and actually finished fourth at the box office overall. So uh, thanks for joining us, Abby. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so, so, so obviously I think that you're most, you're you're probably most well known for your time at Planned Parenthood. Um and after watching the movie, I've I, I have I have a question for you that I'm okay. sure a lot of the people that watch it have. And I'm curious, was Planned Parenthood more upset that you didn't give a two week notice or more upset that you cashed out on a bunch of vacation time? You know, because I didn't give a two weeks notice, I did not get my vacation time. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah, which sort of sucked because, um, yeah, I had about probably, I can't remember now. I'd have to look, but I'd have to look at my old pay stub, which I do have one. But I think I had about like four to five months of vacation time uh, oh saved God. up. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, but that was part of their policy. If you don't give notice, then uh, you don't get your vacation sick pay. So that was okay. It was it was it was worth it. So yeah, yeah, you, you know, because I, I I know, I mean, not from personal experience, but like from from working at some jobs, you know, there there's these like logistical mechanics, administrative stuff that happens after you leave a job, and uh, I I was curious about that because it's I mean. Sure, you love Planned Parenthood, and we'll we'll get into kind of all the circumstances that revolved around that. But 
but it was just like some of this administrivia stuff on the back end that <laughs> was just I'm sure yeah. nobody asked you about, you know? Yeah, no, nobody's ever asked me that. That's a that's a that's a unique question. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> because um I actually did email them about it though. I emailed them and said, you know, hey, they were so mad at me anyway, so it was sort of ballsy for me to email them. Um <laughs> but I emailed them and said just a quick quick cue. Um <laughs> do I happen to get my uh <laughs> my vacation pay and they said no when you didn't give you know you didn't give a notice you don't give it your vacation pay uh, oh my yeah. gosh evil evil <laughs> jeez they I mean, were very a- happy not to have to pay that to me I, <laughs> I mean yeah wow so 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 um for, for for those that aren't familiar with with the the circumstances maybe can you give us sort of like the 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 reader's digest version of of why sure. you left Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Um yeah, sort of the Cliff's Notes version is that I was there for 8 years and you know got involved thinking I'm here to help women, I'm here to do the right thing. At that time when I started working for Planned Parenthood, the overarching narrative was that we were providing abortions in order to keep them safe, legal, and rare. And, um, you know, abortion was sort of this necessary evil that needed to be done in order to keep women out of these dangerous back alley abortion clinics. Over the eight years that I was there, um, particularly in the last two years that I was there, I started to see a shift in that narrative at Planned Parenthood. And, you know, now, you know, well, at the time I started to think, okay, is it that Planned Parenthood is changing or is it that I'm now so high up in the ranks that I'm finally starting to see what we have been about all along. And I realize, okay, I think it's, you know, now I see, I think this is what we had been about all along. Um, but you know, I was just for many years, I was either a volunteer or I was just sort of a, you know, I was just sort of a daily, you know, hourly clinic worker there. So I didn't, I, you know, I, I wasn't management. I didn't, I was just sort of a busy bee, you know, in, in the clinic. So I didn't really see, you know, the upper management. I didn't really see what was going on at that, that higher tier, you know, that higher level. And so I just thought I'm, I'm here helping women. I'm, I'm here, you know, providing healthcare day in and day out. Um, but in that last year specifically, I started to really see the underbelly of Planned Parenthood. You know, we were building a late-term abortion facility, and we were going to be aborting babies through the sixth month of pregnancy for any and every reason, just elective abortion uh, for any reason. That was That was troublesome for me because I had always believed that – you know, the line in the sand for me was viability, as it is for, I would say, most people who consider themselves pro-choice. Once a baby can live 
outside of the womb on its own, that's generally when people who are pro-choice will say, mm, you know, that's, that's too far. And that's how it was for me. But, you know, here we were building this 78,000 square foot abortion facility. Um, and, you know, I was going to have an office in that facility. And so that was, that was troubling for me. Um, I was given an abortion quota. I'd been given an abortion quota, uh, you know, how so many abortions that we had to sell to women who came into our facility every year. It was broken up by month. And now I'm being told that we have to double that abortion quota. Um, you know, there were, there were months that, of course, in the summer, it was a college town. So there were months that uh, in the summer when the students were gone, you know, we weren't able to sometimes meet that quota. So we were being told, well, you know, that's when you need to go into particular neighborhoods and really, you know, drive those numbers. You've got to, you know, go and find women who are pregnant and encourage them to come into the facilities. And, you know, of course, what were those neighborhoods we're going into? Well, we're going into minority neighborhoods. We're going into low-income neighborhoods. We're going into HUD housing developments, right? Like the projects. That's what we're, that's what we're going into. And we're encouraging, um, these, you know, primarily black women, you know, and saying, I mean, essentially, um, you're not fit to have a baby or to have another baby. And so come in here and, uh, we'll kill your baby for you because we have a quota (laughs) to Mm. meet. Um, and it was so many things sort of in that last year where I feel like God was really opening my eyes to what was happening inside of this place. And, but I still didn't leave, you know? I mean, I was still, I was still there um, trying to justify it, trying to make sense of it, trying to say, you know, okay, well, maybe there's a reason we're doing this. Or maybe, you know, okay, well, maybe we're still helping, right? Because a woman that's poor, she's probably, you know, struggling to feed her other kids. So maybe this is bad. I mean, it's like you just try to, you know, justify it and rationalize it. um, But then finally, I was called in to assist in an ultrasound-guided abortion procedure of a 13-week-old baby. And... um. I I watched in horror as this uh, just total shock as this 13 week old baby fought and struggled for his life against the abortion instruments. And I knew then that there was life in the womb. There was humanity in the womb. This was something I'd never seen before. Uh, to my knowledge, an ultrasound guided abortion procedure had never been performed in my facility. It's usually done in a blind manner without ultrasound guidance. And uh, I knew that I had a decision to make. Um, and so I, it was at that time that I made the decision to leave. You know, that, that, that's, that's so, it's so powerful. And, and the, for the movie, the very opening scene kind of describes that. And so like, as you were talking, I was just thinking about that scene where they were performing an abortion and, and mind you, like, so I'm, I'm an ex 
military guy, was in the infantry for a number of years. <clears throat> Went to Iraq. I've picked up body parts. I've I've seen dead people. Like that that first scene, I I almost I didn't. I almost had to like like squint my eyes, you know, like look through my eyelashes or or like fast forward it, but I just felt that there was a purpose behind sort of like the imagery that was sort of like just right there in your face that you just had to kind of just see, you know, what was going on. And it, 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 I don't know, it really stirred something in me, which, which like, mind you, like, so, so our, our podcast, um, Josh is sort of the, the token conservative and I'm sort of the, the token progressive, like of the two, you know, like, but, but I'm a believer. My wife and I are believers. Um, we're, we're fairly, I mean, like we're pro-life for ourselves, um, like we don't foresee a situation where we would like mutually agree on having an abortion. Um, but we tend to be fairly pro-choice, like, um, like broadly speaking, like, um, not, not for necessarily for any of the, the popular reasons people, people claim just, we just think people should have a choice. Um, and, and, uh, what revolves around a lot of that choice, I think is, is where does life begin? And I, and I'm curious on kind of where, what what you think or where do you think life begins i think life begins at at conception and i think that um there's been some interesting uh things done i i'm i'm not a, a supporter of um idf just because i believe it commodifies children but um there's been some interesting things that have been seen in uh the laboratories when sperm and egg meet, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, there's actually a spark that takes place. Um, and people can look this up. Um, and it's called the spark of life. And when egg and sperm meet, there's actually this little spark um, that takes place. And I, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that's an accident, right? I don't think that that um I don't think that's ju- that just happens by like chance, right? Um I think something really miraculous happens um when when life is created. And I don't think it's random, I don't think it's unintentional. Um and I, I think that uh, you know, uh, science is is here, science is is created by our creator. And, um, you know, as a Christian myself, um, you know, life is, is very scientific. So, you know, life, um, there's a science behind life. So, uh, there's only two states of being in, in human life form. So there's living and there's dying and that's it. And there's no in between. Right. There's no like state of kinda when it comes to life. Right. Like yeah. you're not kinda living or kinda dying. Right. Some you're... days, like if you catch me before coffee, I, I would probably say that's my state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you're like my teenager would say if you wake her up before like noon, she's kind of alive. But um, you're you're alive or you're dead. And if your cells are reproducing, um, you know, if your cells are regenerating if you're growing, then you're alive. I mean, that's scientifically you're alive. And at that moment of conception, 
that's exactly what starts happening. It's, it's life. You're alive. Those cells are reproducing. They're regenerating so quickly, actually. And, um, and so that's it. That's life. And, uh, you're not, you're not dying in that moment. You're not, uh, that's it. And so for me, the science is clear. Um, for me, the logic is clear. My faith is clear on that. Um, you know, God says he knew us before he even created us in our mother's womb. I think that he has a a beautiful plan for each and every life. And, um, and so I, I feel very strongly that, um, that we are, we are not to destroy or, 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 or take that life. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we spoke with, um, Last year, we spoke with a um, biblical scholar who does like Bible interpretations, translations, and uh, he wrote this really great book called The Bible and the Ballot, which um, is a really, really great book. And uh, when we talked to him, we we, we we briefly spoke about sort of the like, where does life begin? And, you know, he he or I disclosed to him that I thought life began at conception. So then he he posed back to me. Well, that means that you don't you don't use birth control. And I was like, well, wait a minute, like like that, that's not fair because <laughs> like because because uh, because what I what I explained to him, I said, well, you know, like it's like life, like life begins, like not every time a sperm meets an egg, you know, it it produces something, you know. But like I've always thought that if 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 we found like um, you know a a viable or you know sperm egg connection on another planet we would be investing hundreds of billions of dollars to go check it out you know so like in my mind that's life um but but he said you know well you wouldn't use you use birth control so like how do you like how do you reconcile with that if you think that life begins at conception but like you're on the pill or something stay with us we'll be right back Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith in public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Oh, I don't believe in hormonal birth control, so I don't reconcile it. Um, oh, man, so, I'm out. so it's so it's, it's easy that for easy you for then. Me. <laughs> so so I gotta I gotta stick yeah. with my I gotta I gotta come to terms with with my belief. So thanks, thanks. You didn't help me out. Um, there. I don't. I mean, it's it's easy for me. Yeah. I mean, there's there's um, every single form of hormonal contraception um, has the ability to end a newly conceived human life, and so um, and so I I I simply don't believe. That, that, you know, if you believe that life begins at conception, then I'm not sure how you can then say, well, I'm, I support hormonal contraception. So, um, and that so, was something that I, I had, I had to come to terms with too, because I had been a person that since I was 16 years old had been on hormonal contraception. 
So, you know, it was something that my husband and I had to rectify. Um, But then I also looked at, I mean, I'm also a person who was, you know, helping women get on these hormonal birth control uh, options. And I watched women's bodies fall apart because of it. Mm. I watched a 26-year-old woman develop osteoporosis from the Depo-Provera shot. Um, you know, I watched a 20 year old woman have a stroke because of birth control pills. Um, I have seen, you know, women, uh, come back to our office with a heart condition because of birth control pills. Um, I myself have a lifelong, um, brain condition because of the Depo-Provera injection, um, that I'll live with for the rest of my life. I take daily medication for it. So I was, uh, I have a friend that had to have a hysterectomy at 30 years old because of birth control usage. So um, I, I, I could not in my mind even pass the, you know, life at conception point, um, even past that, I could not in my mind uh, reconcile telling women this is good for your body when I've watched so many women's bodies become absolutely wrecked, including my own, um, because of of these synthetic hormones. Not when I know there's something so much better out there. Um, not when there's something that is as effective. I mean, natural family planning is as effective as when used properly under an instructor, it's 99% effective. Um, it's natural and it doesn't mask problems in your body. You know, people are like, oh, I've, I have PCOS. I can't use NFP. No, you absolutely can. And you can actually heal your PCOS instead of masking your PCOS with hormonal birth control. Mm, um, and for me, I'm like, I'm all about healing the human person. I'm all about healing women's bodies, not masking what's going on with their bodies and making it worse. So, yeah. so, so, so how do you, so part of your ministry is to try to help pregnant women, um, make you know decisions for for themselves for their baby and also to you know maybe teach or convince those that work in planned parenthood to to leave their profession so i i'm curious like how do you how do you engage with someone if they don't believe that life begins at conception um like how do you how do you start that conversation well i don't really find that that point is all that relevant, honestly, um, in most conversations with women who are considering an abortion, you know, what I find is that with most of these women, they really don't want to have an abortion period. Um, most of these women, 75% of women who are considering an abortion are doing so for financial reasons. So, you know, most women who are pregnant, are not in a place where they're saying, I I don't want to have this baby. Most women do want to have their babies. Most women uh, that we work with anyway are in a position where they're saying, I already have other children. 60% of women who have abortions already have children at home. So they're they're in a position where they're saying, I'm already behind on my rent. I'm already behind on my car payment. I don't have health insurance. Um, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feed the children I already have. I don't have winter clothes for them already. I don't have summer clothes for them, you know, whatever it is. Like there's some sort of financial situation where they're feeling overwhelmed or, um, you know, the most 
influential voice in a woman's life on whether she has an abortion is the father of that child. So, you know, the father of the child is saying, don't have the baby, or I'm not going to be around if you have, if you have the child, which in those situations, he's probably not going to be around even if she has the abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, so in that situation, you know, our job with my ministry love line is to come alongside her and say, look, even if you have the abortion, you're still going to be behind on your rent, right? Even if you have the abortion, you're still not going to have reliable transportation. Um, even if you have the abortion, you're still not going to have enough food on the table for your kids. So why don't we get you into a stable financial situation? Because we have the money, right? We'll find the money for you. Um, so let us get you into a financial, a stable financial situation. Let's like put the, put the abortion on hold, right? Let's put this baby that you're carrying right now. Let like, let's sort of just put a pause on that right now because you got lots of time to worry about that baby, right? Like generally you've got like eight months to worry about that baby. So let's, let's figure out the situation you're in right now. Um, and so we can work to get her um, stable employment. We can work to get her health care. Um, we even have a program called Mama Scholar, which is a which is an educational scholarship program where we will pay for a woman to finish her education, to start her education, oh. to finish a certificate program, to get a certificate program, whatever, to get a certificate and something she wants to um, accomplish, whatever it is she wants to do so that we can empower her with education, empower her to get a better job, um, to complete her GED. We have tutors that will help her do that if she did not complete her high school education. Um, So, you know, we want to help equip her to do everything in life she's ever wanted to do. And we have case managers that can help her do that and will help her, you know, social workers that will help her along the way to do that. Um, And then once she's sort of completed the goals she wants to complete, then we're like, okay, let's get you on track with this baby, right? Mm. And we're going to provide you with the most amazing, awesome, comprehensive baby registry you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to provide you with diapers for as long as that baby needs diapers on its butt. Mm. We're going to give you the most rocking crib you've ever seen ever. <laughs> we're going to provide you with clothes, maternity clothes, whatever you need, nursing bras, anything in the world that you need. You are never going to want for anything. If you need a car, girl, we'll buy you a car. You know, <laughs> whatever you need. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to take care of you so that you don't have to stress about how you're getting your kids to school, how you're getting to work, how, you know, you're going to pay your insurance. Like, but we're also, we're not just giving you a hand out. We're truly helping you get a hand up because we don't want you to live dependently on somebody for the rest of your life. We want you to be independent. And we have seen just life changes in these women that work through our program. And um, we are, I mean, we're currently working with over 2000 people. And it's, I mean, it changes communities. I mean, when these women are, when they're empowered, when they feel liberated, like it changes their community that they live in. 
Sure, sure. And, and I, I think that's that's pretty phenomenal. And I, I didn't know that about, about your organization. And I think that's that's definitely commendable. Um, and, you know, what I what I worry about is, you know, there are several states that are passing laws that are making it harder for women to get an abortion. Um, Texas, Arizona, Idaho. Um, and, I, and I'm curious, like, are there enough organizations like yours? Or is there a government program that can help, you know, women in those situations that that would normally get an abortion but have chosen not to or or can't because of of the existing laws? Yeah. So I actually live in Texas. um, And uh, my organization was founded in Texas, even though we are nationwide. Um, And... I mean, I can say just in my state of Texas, I feel like state of Texas was actually a pretty good uh, test run for how this is how this could possibly go for the rest of the country because Texas is a huge state. Um, so, I mean, when you look at Texas compared to like Idaho, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, if Texas can do it, I feel like anybody can. Um, so, you know, we've done it successfully. In the state of Texas, um, Texas has a uh, Texas Pregnancy Care Network funding that is $100 million uh, set aside for women who need support for their babies. And we're actually um, in talks with – I'm actually in talks, me and several other people in talks with the governor right now on how to expand that program um, to meet other needs of women. So, you know, utilities, rent, uh, things like that, that, you know, ministries like mine are currently providing, but how can we even make that bigger and sort of like a state funded initiative instead of just being private ministry initiatives? Um, you know, we have so many resources in the state that we can help do that as sort of a state funded project. Um, so that we're not constantly dipping into ministerial funds, um, which we're happy to do. We're happy to provide, but the needs are great. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think if we could make this a state-funded mission, I think that's even better so that we can help fund other things like insurance for cars, or we can just buy a car, <laughs> right, for a woman or whatever we need to do, which we've done that many times. Um, but I think that, you know, there are resources available. I think this is an opportunity, a great opportunity for the church to be the church. And that's exactly what what we have seen the church do. The church has stepped up. Um, the church is rallying around these women and men and families. Um, and I think it's really something that we need to talk more about in in the church community, just in society as a whole, is this is an opportunity for the church to lead men, um, for men to be the fathers that God is calling them to be, um, because we have a real fatherhood problem in our culture, and um, we have a real problem with just people not being responsible for their actions. And unfortunately, I mean, I remember when the heartbeat bill was passed in Texas, there were all of these, you know, abortion doctors and these, you know, pro-choice women going out on Twitter and saying, 
okay, ladies, now, you know, make sure you're taking your birth control, make sure, you know, you're making your guys wear condoms. And I'm thinking, okay, so you actually do know how you get pregnant, but we have an epidemic of people using abortion as birth control. And even in my clinic, I mean, we saw women, ha- it was nothing for a woman to have seven, eight, nine, ten 10 abortions. We had women that were having 16, 17 abortions in our clinic. And abortion has, abortion usage has become so incredibly brazen in our society. Um, it's no longer this, you know, oh, let's keep abortion safe, legal, and rare. That is not the issue anymore. Abortion is not just a necessary evil. We have women taking abortion pills on national TV. We have women taking abortion pills on the steps of the Supreme Court. It is nothing for women to kill their babies anymore. Mm. Um, and they're proudly doing it. They're proclaiming that they're proudly killing their babies. And so we live in a very, very different society than we did 20 years ago when I started working at Planned Parenthood. And I mean, we have to do something about that. We have to change our culture. Are there circumstances where, where you would support like an abortion? Um, You know, like, so, so for instance, like my, my, my wife and I, we had an ectopic pregnancy a couple of years ago. Um, You know, it was, pretty traumatic for us. Um, but, but like, so I, I couldn't imagine a situation where she couldn't get the care that she needed like at, at that, at that time. So I, I'm curious yes. to kind of get, get, get your thoughts. Yeah. So ectopic pregnancy is never considered an abortion. Uh, treatment of an ectopic pregnancy is never considered an abortion. And, um, it is simply treatment of an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and it is never under any law um, barred from being treated. Um, so you can ask any abortion doctor anywhere across the country, even, even one of the most notorious abortion doctors, Dr. Jen Gunter, um, who is, uh, very famous, famous for some of the rather heartless and scandalous things she has said on, on social media, um, very, uh, vocally has talked about the fact that ectopic pregnancy is never, uh, considered abortion care. Uh, it is simply treatment of an ectopic pregnancy. And under any medical standard, under billing codes, under anything, it is considered treatment of an ectopic pregnancy. So um, it is, of course, ectopic pregnancies are an incredibly uh, devastating thing for a woman to go through. Um, and it's also life-threatening um, for that woman if she continues um, that pregnancy. And it's also a non-viable uh, pregnancy. So... Um, <clears throat> No, I mean that's that's of course. Uh, I would never say to a woman, "You have to continue this non-viable, life-threatening pregnancy," mm-hmm. to you. Um, but it's it's also not considered an abortion um, at all. Yeah. But but what about like in circumstances of you know you you've heard like rape or incest or you know name name the different scenarios. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we are an adoptive family. Um, I have eight children. Uh, I have a child who is adopted and, um, my, one of my adopted children, uh, is, was actually conceived in, uh, uh, in rape. And so I do not believe in exceptions, um, for, for rape or, or any exceptions like that. Um, you know, it's, 
it's a strange thing where we look at the life of a child and say, you deserve death for the crimes of your father. Um, you know, you deserve punishment for the crimes of your parent. There is no other circumstance in the world where we punish a child for the sins of his parent. Um, but in this case, it's not even punishment, it's death. And uh, I look at my other children who were uh, the biological children of my husband and I who were all conceived in love. And I look at my son, Jude, and there's absolutely no difference in those children. They are all equally valuable. Um, they have infinite dignity and worth, and they are loved equally. But, um between my husband and I. And so I could never look at my son Jude and say, you don't have value and you don't deserve to be here because of how you were conceived. And um, there's actually been significant research and study done on this particular topic of um, conception after rape. And um, actually, not intentionally, um, but I actually have this data pulled up because um, I did a video on video on it not not that long ago. Um, but the there was a, a woman uh, one one woman in particular that's done a lot of study on this, and she there was a major study done uh, on it by Dr. Sandra McCorn, and the overwhelming majority of women who do conceive from rape do choose life for their children. It's a very small percentage of women who actually choose abortion after conceiving from rape. And um, the women, she, she did an interview. She interviewed these women in her study and um, who did continue their pregnancies, who did not choose abortion. And what was interesting um, is that, most of these women actually believed that abortion should be a legal choice. But the reason that they did not choose abortion is because they said that abortion would simply be another act of violence per perpetrated against them. They believed that good can come from evil. They did not want to victimize an innocent child as they had been victimized. Um, they said that if a woman um, got pregnant, through rape, they felt like that they would have conquered the rape and that they could regain some loss of self-esteem. And they also felt like keeping the baby was proof that they were better than their rapist. And um, so what was really interesting about it was um, that these women who ended up carrying their, their child to term and, and having their baby. Um, she compared those to the ones who actually did choose abortion. And what she found to be uh, true after this was that these women who chose life fared better emotionally and psychologically. They fared significantly better than the women who chose abortion. And um, for me, as a person who truly loves women, and as a person who considers herself a, a woman's advocate, knowing what I know based on on studies, and and I am a 
a therapist as well. I could not in good conscience tell a woman, you know, I've looked at research, I've looked at studies, and I, 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 I know the probable outcome that you're going to have after having this abortion, but I'm still going to encourage you to have that abortion anyway. I, I couldn't do that. I mean, that, that would be, that would be terrible on my part. What I would do is say, I'm going to present you with this data. I'm going to refer you to some amazing therapist because I'm so sorry this happened to you. And I'm so sorry you were violated in this way. And I want to get you the very best help for, for what has been done to you and the trauma that's been inflicted on your body. But I want to give you this research. I want to let you look at this for yourself. And I want you to, I want you to make a decision knowing that the overwhelming majority of women who choose life for their babies after being violated in this way, do far better than women who don't. Mm. And what was interesting about um, Dr. McCorn's research is um, that she said, after sexual assault, there is, for varying lengths of time, a natural revulsion toward anything associated with the rape. This may include the location or characteristics of the rapist. It is normal for this feeling to attach to the unborn child conceived by rape. However, these feelings fade with time. When this does not happen spontaneously, counseling with someone qualified to treat the victim of rape trauma is effective. Rape victims I have worked with were aware and distressed by the inappropriateness of these feelings. They were anxious to overcome their revulsion of anyone and anything that reminded them of the rape. They would not, for instance, have welcomed anyone telling them that men of their attacker's race are natural criminals, nor do women welcome being told that their children conceived in rape are unworthy of life, genetically prone to crime, and bound to feel unwanted and bitter. A person in crisis is seeking positive solutions, not a council of despair. So I just thought that was all really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's so interesting. So, you know, the the, the Bible says father um, father shall not be put to death for their children and, you know, children shall, you know won't be put to death for their fathers. Um, and I think that everything you just mentioned is um, perfectly sort of encapsulates that, that even though the child, you know, was conceived um, kind of an evilness that, you know, if you're if you're working with the with the idea that life begins at birth or life begins at conception, then, then that child shouldn't have to pay for the sins of of its father, in essence. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's that's pretty admirable. Um, so, so just uh, two, two more questions, um, and and then uh, then then uh, I'm going to get into your, your your book. Actually, one more question um, is uh, um, what what are some what are some stereotypes that about being pro life. <laughs> that you actively have to kind of work against. And I'll, yeah. if that doesn't make sense, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a good, for instance, like, so I'm a, I'm a Democrat. My partner in crimes a Republican. Um, him and I differ on a lot of different issues politically, but there are some things that we actually agree on, but, but there are some things that like would, would surprise a lot of people. Like I'm a gun owner. He's not a gun owner, you know, <laughs> like, but he's the Republican. 
So, so like, what, what are some stereotypes that, that you have to actively, you know, um, you know, shoot down, uh, forgive the pun, um, you know, as, as you're, as you're going about your ministry? Um, you know, I think there's always this sort of idea that, uh, pro-lifers don't care for, for, for children after birth, um, you know, that we're sort of pro-birth, um, which is, you know, that's always sort of interesting um, because, I mean, I have a whole ministry dedicated to women and their children after birth. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's sort of one thing. Um, let's see. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of work against the death penalty. Um, so that's sort of a, you know, oh, all, you know, all... <laughs> all Republicans are, you know, raging pro death penalty, you know, execute everybody sort of thing. Um, you know, I think there's just a lot of sort of stereotypes. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm very much a sort of like, I, I mean, I, you know, we're definitely second amendment people. So, um, you know, but I'm also, I definitely take like a peaceful approach when I'm, um, you know, walking with people who are, you know, on this journey considering abortion or, you know, I'm not like an in-your-face, let me show you a big, nasty, like bloody graphic mm-hmm. image sort of, yeah. you know, I'm very peaceful when it comes to that. Um, I really just want to accompany women on their journey. Um, and I'm not going to shame them if they do have an abortion. Um, I'm not a person that becomes angry um, if a woman has an abortion. Um, I've had two abortions myself, so I understand how panic and fear can overcome a woman. And even if she, I think that's sort of a, that's sort of a stereotype that like, if a woman has an abortion, then pro-lifers are just going to drop her. And that's definitely not true. Um, You know, I'm. Do you you hate women's rights? (laughs) I don't hate women's (laughs) rights. Um. You know, but I, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go with her to the abortion clinic, but if she's hurting afterward, I'm still going to stand with her and hold her hand. Um, and so I, I think it's just, I do love women and that's why I do what I do because I love women. That's awesome. So you're, um, you're coming out with a new book, um, here, um, yeah. called Fierce Mercy. What's it, uh, what's it about? So, you know, my first two books, Unplanned and The Walls Are Talking, were really about just sort of abortion, right? It's really like, you know, Unplanned was sort of my journey in and out of the abortion clinic. Um, The Walls Are Talking was sort of stories from inside the abortion clinic. And so Fierce Mercy, I really just wanted to talk about just, I don't know, just all of the amazing grace that I've received from Christ. And I wanted to showcase that in how God has moved in my life through my marriage and all the things he's done in my ministry. And even just being a mom, um, God has been so gracious to me. He's been so good to me. And I wanted to show people, you know, ways that God has loved me and has been so merciful to me. And then, you know, our country is so divided right now and people are so at odds with one another and I think people, you know, say to me like, how do I, how do I love this person in my life that's really unlovable? <laughs> or, you know, how do I love this person 
that I just I don't like. And um and I'm like, oh well that's easy, right? I mean like I <laughs> for me that's really easy. Um I you know there's I'm sure that there were time I have been loved by people that didn't like me. Um <laughs> and so I've been shown that and I feel like we all need a good practical instruction on how to do that right now in our society. And so um, that's really sort of what the book is about. And um, yeah, I think people will really like it if if they pick it up and read it. And I think people will find just a lot of, I think it's funny. There's a lot of good stories in it and it's not just about pro-life stuff. Um it's really just sort of about life and in general and being a parent and being a spouse and just loving people around us. I think that's really awesome. And, and I, and I, I really admire just your ability to take like all the crap of your past, make it into compost in order for it to grow the things of your future. Like, I just love that about like what you've done, you know? And, and I know that, that, that our, we have a diverse audience. I mean, ranging the spectrum of political ideas, religious backgrounds and whatnot. And there's going to be a lot of people that are really going to hate this podcast, you know, and think that I'm like a Democrat (laughs) sellout, which maybe I am. I don't know. Um, And, but, but, but I would definitely encourage them if they've made it this far in the podcast to at least like check out your book. Um, I, um, I think that you, you tell a good story. Um, You, you are a walking example of God's grace. And I, uh, I just wish you nothing but the best. And thank you for, for coming on our show, Abby. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. I lo- I love talking to people that have diverse ideas and gosh, wouldn't it be boring if we all just thought the same thing and totally. we all look the <laughs> same and had the